This episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast is brought to you by, well, the Creative Clinician's Corner, my consulting um, business that helps therapists bring to life their practice um, and is really kind of the hub of where this show is. And um, I just wanted to let you know that we're going to be opening up opportunities to participate in the six-month mastermind um, group. Um, I've hosted this group the past two years, and it's usually a small group, but that intimacy is really nice and supportive and nurturing and kind. And um, it's just a great way to have consistency and accountability in what you're doing as you're taking steps that feel uncomfortable and maybe risky as you're starting your business or growing your business. Um, the mastermind group is, is really for folks in those early stages. If you're already wildly successful, this is not the group for you. Um, this is a group for folks that are starting out. They're feeling a bit nervous. They need support. They need resources to kind of help organize them along the way. And, um, and they're looking to be doing that in community with other folks that are doing the same thing. Um, so if that sounds like you check it out, um, it's going to start in February. It'll run February to through July, and it's going to be on Mondays at 1 PM. We'll have three live, um, zoom meetings per month, um, the fourth meeting will be like a co-working uh, session that folks can meet together and work on specific um, tasks that they're developing in their business. And it's structured where one meeting per month is more of like training, guidance, um, the others are hot seat style where you present something that you're working on, something that you're having a challenge with, and then you receive support and feedback from the group um, or about that. And I'll be giving lots of templates and resources, things that you can download to guide you in that process. And we also have a private Facebook group where we stay connected uh, throughout the weeks. Um, and even the folks that were in the group this year decided they wanted to continue to meet. So they've been meeting um, and doing like once a month uh, co-working uh, Zoom groups to stay connected and to continue to support one another. So um, it's a really nice group. If you're interested, uh, you can go over to um, creativeclinicianscorner.com forward slash mastermind dash group. Um, it's also under the lab tab. If you click on that, uh, the button will pop down. And there you'll find lots of um, ways on the sales page to set up a 20 minute call with me to really see if this is the right thing for you. Um, if it is awesome, but if not, maybe there's something else I might be able to recommend that would be beneficial for you at this stage of where you're at. Um, so I hope to hear from you. 
and uh, maybe even get to know you a bit more in 2023. And um, I'll just share with you, um, you know, what somebody shared with me, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who was on the show recently, um, or maybe she'll be on the show in um, a couple of episodes. Uh, she's been participating in the group the past two years, and this is what she said. Um, and she gave me permission to use that, to use it. So she said, this is my second year participating in the mastermind. And wow, Raina is so skilled at creating a supportive group environment while skillfully inviting participants to work at the edges of their mindset barriers. I gained so much from being a part of the group, including the confidence to keep taking bigger and bigger steps forward in my business, which is so awesome. And I love being able to support and witness that um, that growth um, in the folks that I'm working with. So if it sounds interesting to you, um, please uh, sign up for one of those 20-minute calls and we'll see if it's a good fit. All right, back to the show. Hey, creatives. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. It's episode 85. And today I'm going to be speaking with art therapist and uh, licensed uh, professional counselor, Jennifer Lawrence. And she is the creator of something called Mindful Messes. And she, um, she used to work in the public school system providing art therapy for kids um, with special needs. And so she really specializes in developing social emotional curriculum that helps kids that are having a tough time regulating connect with the adults in their life. And she does that through creativity and fun and um, play and really tries to help people um, focus in on that connection. Because when we're connected, we are much better able to co-regulate, um, especially when a child might be really struggling um, in that capacity. So she has been in my mastermind group for the past two years, and I have kind of watched her develop this program from, um, you know, our first year into our second year. And I'm just really inspired by how dedicated she has been to developing her business and the risks that she's taken to bring her dreams to life. And um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater 
greater impact in their communities and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I am super duper duper excited to welcome my next guest. Her name is Jennifer Lawrence. She is a licensed professional art therapist and counselor. She also holds general and special education teacher credentials and has worked with children and adults of every age. Jennifer is the creator of Mindful Messes, an art-based social-emotional learning curriculum that helps kids and their grown-ups connect through mindfulness, playful movement, and invitations to create. Her latest offering, Break Free from Power Struggles, is an online program for parents who want to ditch the perfect parent fantasy, understand their child's behaviors, and nurture more joyful connections. Jennifer lives in New Jersey, where she not only has an in-person art therapy practice, but also spends as much time as possible enjoying the parks and the beaches with her kiddo and her husband. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah. Ah. (laughs) So let's dive right in and talk about, um, mindful messes and like, what was your inspiration to come up with this program, which sounds amazing by the way. Well, I've always been interested in kind of the intersection of art and movement and how that supports kids and their grownups. And also how do we get grownups and kids to just kind of be in the same space and having like a an interaction with each other that feels supportive. And so um, I had a school district contact me last year looking for some um, programming for their uh, families going back after COVID being, everybody being uh, out of school at home. So they were really trying to be proactive in creating some programming. And so this was the emergence of that. But I think it's been over a decade of experience of knowing what kind of works with families and whatnot. And this gave me the perfect opportunity to put it uh, together as a curriculum and uh, take families through a process Mm -hmm. and support them in being ready to be back in school and connecting and everything. Can you speak a little bit about how, when, when parents or adults don't take the time to play and be creative with their kids, how they're missing out on some real golden opportunities. Yeah, for sure. So in my private practice, what a hundred percent of families that come to see me say that they feel like they're walking on eggshells around their kids Mm -hmm. or that their stress response to their kids' behavior so it's causing so much anxiety that they just don't even know what to do. So an antidote to that when your nervous system is overloaded like that, it's the parent's nervous system. It's not that I'm gonna be able to fix the kid's behavior. It's really to support the grown-up, the parent in being able to um, come at their children's behavior with a sense of curiosity. Mm. And curiosity happens through play through 
having experiences together that feel satisfying that's where they'll start to tune into like, oh, this person in front of me isn't just my kid whose behaviors are triggering something, but they're actually a, a fellow human that's walking side by side. And we have a lot in common. And I really care about their well-being as much as I care about my well-being. And um, I think that art is a perfect place to play around with those ideas. God, most definitely. Um, I think that that is a real common theme for parents that have um, kids that have different like neurodevelopmental um, things going on for them where they might, their nervous system might get really easily dysregulated. And then the parents, um, if they're not in command of their own nervous system, mm -hmm. they attune to where their child's at. And then for everybody's sure. on the floor having a tantrum. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. It's, and I really like it. So many parents, as I kind of take them through the process of becoming aware of that, of looking at their parent, uh, their child's behavior through that, those lenses, um, they're like, wow, I didn't know that it, things could be like this. And they didn't oh. know that they could feel the way that they feel. That's really yeah. powerful. Yeah, it really, like, it's amazing. Yeah. Real powerful validation of the program. I hope you got testimonials from them. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I had this wonderful mastermind coach and her name was Raina and <laughs> she prepped me in all of those things. <laughs> yeah. So for listeners, um, Jen Jennifer has been in the mastermind group that I've run the past two years. And so um, I'm really fortunate to kind of see um, the evolution of this program mm -hmm. develop, which is really amazing right. Um, right. to watch. Yeah. yeah. So can you speak a little bit about how being in a group and granted it's a very small group, um, but a group nonetheless, um, really is helpful in supporting your creative entrepreneurial process. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first of all, you get to hear all these different people and how they're approaching things. And I think a big takeaway for me is consistently, um, that I'm not the only one who doesn't have it figured out mm -hmm. and, uh, and really hearing how other people kind of work through their own barriers to moving forward, taking action, um, thinking like an entrepreneur. So being in a group, you get to hear other people's stories. And as you hear those stories, I mean, I'm a big fan of groups. So, uh, this is like my like happy place is getting to hear, how other people are doing things and where they're stuck. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm stuck with that too. Like, what can I take from that? How can I learn from their experiences? So it's not just me kind of reflecting on my own stuff. I get to be in more of a collective. Yeah. I think that's such an important part of doing the work that we do as like creative entrepreneurs is because sometimes like fear comes up and fear wants us to stay in our comfort zone. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily want us to create 
the new program or the new whatever. Um, but to hear from other people where you look and you're like, oh, wow, look at all the amazing things they're doing. Like they've got it all figured out. And then you yeah. realize, oh no, they're going through the exact same cycle right. as yeah. we are. Yeah. 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 In my practice, we talk a lot about like turning our dial. So a lot of times that dial is turned up so high whenever I have to like sit down and figure out what to do for the day, like the anxiety comes up and, um, and so learning to relate to that so I can like turn it down a little bit so that I can make some choices, but being in a group also helps that dial to stay, to have more flexibility, a wider range, because the things that are making me feel anxious, it just gets neutralized when you hear how other people are kind of struggling with how that's a normal thing to struggle with. You know, it's not just like oh, a big thing that I'm a failure at. Now it's like a pretty normal thing that like a lot of people experience and like, oh, there's like actually ways to deal with it. What do you think has been really helpful for you in navigating that and being like being able to master it, right? Or, or yeah. maybe if it's not master it, but being able to like cope with it? Do you have any like tangible strategies that you use to work with it? To work with like anxiety with like the yeah. open page of entrepreneurship? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, being in a group offers that co-regulation experience, um, which we talked about just with being par parents and, and their kids. It's, it's a similar experience of like, we're all there kind of, um, regulating each other. So that would be the first tip is to like connect with other people who feel safe and who are also committed to doing the process, uh, who are willing to like say like, ah, this is a hard part, not just like, oh, I did these things and they were amazing, but like talk about what's hard also. And um, I think the second thing is to know that there's not one way to do things there's so many different ways and like we're creatives, right? So like, that's fantastic. We get to look at things from so many different angles. And um, the trick is, is to rein that in and not get so off on the 5,000 tangents and think that they're all gonna be the idea. But um, <laughs> like, you know, allow ourselves to play, allow ourselves to be curious, like I was talking about before. And, um, and definitely the group helps with that kind of curious attitude. Um, and the coaching and the mentorship. Um, but then like, how do you take that curiosity then and turn it into action? And the only thing that I have found is to continue to just take it one day at a time. And I have to be really diligent about practices that I do each day that keep me in forward momentum. Mm, I love that part. That really speaks to me that having practices that you're doing each day, keeping up with them. Obviously we're all human. Like at some point our routines get out of whack because of life and different mm -hmm. stuff that's going on. But like, even if we can't do it every day, like as often as possible to continue moving ahead, yeah. are, are there any practices that you really em like embrace and try to make part of your daily routine that help you 
For sure. I definitely believe in using um, a calendar or some kind of system for, I'm a pen and paper person, but writing down what I'm going to do each day. And I have found that um, I love um, the Cal Newport podcast, and he has a lot of good ideas uh, about productivity, but it doesn't have it have to be about productivity. It's more about like these practices of um, every day, writing down what I'm going to do and kind of having a way that I close out at the end of the day. I find that that makes a huge difference if I can say, okay, I'm done because I actually need to, you know, especially when you work for yourself, sometimes that end point is hard to reach. And so, um, or, and if you're an idea, I find as an idea person, if I don't say this is where I'm stopping with this idea right now, and then having a plan for the following day and I, I don't spend a lot of time on this. I, I really keep it to a couple of minutes, plan in the beginning, plan, and weekly planning has helped too. So like part of my closeout routine on Fridays, because I try not to work too much over the weekend, um, unless I want to, unless you know I have creative ideas that I want to play around with, but um, that feels like fun for me. But in mm -hmm. terms of like the work part, I try to make sure I'm not doing work on the weekend. So on Friday afternoons, what I do is I look at my next two weeks. I put everything standing appointments on the calendar. I decide when I'm going to work on content because that's a big part of what I offer right now is content. Um, I figure out where I need to attend to family, you know, family stuff, where I'm going to be commuting. And I just map it all out and have that for two weeks ahead of time. Um, and then I make a list of what I, I pick one priority for the week and, um, and I make a list of basically how I want to approach that. But like, it's not even like, I don't even think it's like a really logical list. It's not, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have 20 steps. It just kind of, I jot down some ideas and I'm starting to, I'm learning as I'm going through this process, what are the things that actually matter to do? And what are the things that really are kind of my distractors? Oh, yes. I definitely know when I am spinning my wheels and when I'm not. And there's so many things that we can be work, quote unquote working on in our businesses, yeah. but that aren't actually advancing our goals. And those tend to be the distractors and it's like, oh, all these emails came in. I have to answer each and every one. Um, mm -hmm. But really yeah. I could have uh, take a more wise mind approach to that and block out the times that I'm going to be responding to emails um, that I don't have to like be toggling back and forth between that task all day. But that's definitely a distractor for me because I like, well, I know I can do that really quick. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. Multitasking, right? Like I can do five different things at the same time and I actually can't. It's just not even, it's not worth it. It's, and it's no fun. It keeps my nervous system really revved up and kind of like on high alert and I'm not really getting anything done that way. Yeah. Plus I feel not very good. I would totally agree with that. Um, same for sure. I love this idea of, you know, that forward thinking of like putting out the two weeks on the calendar and putting out a tentative, like, 
here's the the priorities and it doesn't have to be super detailed. It's just general. And then each day you can kind of break it down and scaffold it a little bit more. Like what are the specifics that I'm going to work on? Yeah. And I do spend some time looking back to, to see if there was something that didn't work and I was super resistant to doing that. Um, but I started doing out <laughs> those things that we don't want to do, but, um, I started to do it and it helped me to see where I was like, Oh, I didn't leave myself any flex time, or I thought I could get, you know, 20 things done. And that's really helped me cut back on thinking that I could get 20 things done when really mm-hmm. like, I'll be, you know, super successful. If I just got one thing done that was complicated. Yeah. You know, so, um, so I'm built, I'm getting better about that. And I have to say, you know, the mastermind and the coaching has really helped kind of introduce what are some of the different tasks that we need to do and to keep um, coming back to like, okay, but what matters right now? And I'm learning that it really is, um, it's a process and it's, it's a slow build. So it's just like when you do a painting, like the end product is not there at, the first five minutes and it's not there sometimes in the first six months, but it's like, um, I'm learning to say, this is what I can focus on right now. And it's okay that all the other pieces don't seem like they're being addressed because I'm starting to now get the, how the layers actually are building so that this next piece can come in more skillfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of feel like when we're being architects of these businesses, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, when we first start out, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do, right? Cause you're like building a house and there's nothing from the foundation up. So there's like a lot of like technical things that need Mm -hmm. to get orchestrated and organized and revised. And then once it, once it's in place, we can't, just leave it. Like it needs to be refreshed. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be organized. It needs a new roof. It needs, (laughs) right? Like it still needs to be tended to and cared for For as we're growing. And you have to build that into your schedule. Yes, you do. And that's really hard to understand. It is. It is hard to understand because I think like all of us, we are like, oh, I can do all the things. And then we sit down and realize, oh my gosh, this is taking up way too much, way much more time than I had budgeted for, um, which obviously helped you to be more mindful of your scheduling. Yeah, that has been a big piece. And um, also, like you said, doing all the things. And of course, my flavor of that is doing all the things perfectly. So (laughs) how's that for a little anxiety? So learning how to, um, you know, address that when that comes up for me also Mm -hmm. has been a big, a big part of the process over the last two years. And um, yeah, Yeah. perfectionism. And I try to apply that, you know, in parenting too, of like, it's the same, it's all the same, like these, and I know you say this in our mastermind that like, this is how we do our business is how we do our life. And it's all related. It is all related. And like, 
I, I feel like so many therapists can get caught in that perfectionistic, um, like hole mm-hmm. of like, I want to do this, but I don't want to put anything out there because I don't want, I'm afraid of like the rejection. I'm afraid Mm -hmm. of what other therapists might have to say about what I'm doing. You know, I'm afraid of like all of those kinds of things. Maybe people won't think I actually know what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but then nobody gets to actually experience our work because we're delaying putting it out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's somebody who needs what you have to offer your special flavor of it at that moment in time. That's so true. Yeah. This episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast is brought to you by Florida Art Therapy Services, my group practice. Um, I just wanted to share with you that we are offering a host of continuing education trainings in December, uh, starting in December and going into the spring of 2023. Um, On December 12th, we're going to be offering a six-hour supervision training specifically for art therapy. Um, I know for folks that happen to hold the ATRBC, the ATCB issued um, like a new requirement where we're all responsible for having six hours of art therapy uh, supervision CEs for our recertification periods. And, um, so we're offering that it's a really fun training. It's going to be online and it will be interactive and experiential. We'll be making lots of art throughout the training. Um, so you can find that on our website, www.floridaarttherapyservices.com. If you click on the continuing education tab, the menu will drop down with all of the trainings that we're offering. Um, Additionally, we'll be teaching the 12-hour qualified supervisor training and the four-hour qualified supervisor refresher training for licensed folks in Florida. We have several opportunities for those in the spring. Um, We're going to be offering uh, medical errors and domestic violence training, which are required for our license renewal in Florida. So uh, check those out. And uh, we'll also be, we're working on adding some more art therapy specific intensive offerings in 2023. So we'll be sharing those with you, I'm sure, in uh, the um, this season two of the show uh, that'll air in 2023. What have you found um, to be helpful in kind of figuring out how do you get the information out there? Um, like to who, you know, who is, you know, who are, I guess if you were ice cream, like which person is buying your flavor? (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Um, I mean, this is what I'm trying to figure out right now. Like this is, um, I've blogged on and off since 2015 and have, you know, done social media type stuff, nothing with very much of a 
a strategy or anything like that. So mm-hmm. now I'm trying to move into more strategic thinking about all of this. And um, this quarter, I'm really focusing on taking a step back with um, improving my SEO mm-hmm. and um, through really like I'm making space in my calendar to really focus on content creation that um, is around very specific topics that relate to the services that I offer and, um, and optimizing my website and how people can access that. I think um, in the past, my approach was like, I'll just go on social media and it's easy, it's quick and um, it's low risk. You know, it didn't take much strategy, although I know there's some great strategies for that, but you can kind of like, it's very reactive Mm -hmm. and um, it's, taken a lot for me to figure out like okay just to step back and all the social media should be coming from really seo rich content that's on my website and not make it like all i can fit in because i'm so i'm so overloaded that all i can fit in is like doing this really quick social media post but no actually it's okay to take three weeks to work on a blog post and get it solid and then have your social media come from there. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. I mean, this is, this is what I'm trying this quarter. I'm hoping by January, I'll have a good sense of where that takes me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I see a number of therapists that do such a great job with their social media mm-hmm. and they are, they're using maybe not using, but they're, they're creating the one piece of content, whether that's the blog post or a podcast or interview or something. And then they're transcribing that and breaking it down into chunks of like, what are the most meaningful parts here? And then they're putting it into those text picture blocks and putting that out there. But you can create a whole ton of social media from your one blog post that you just spent a few weeks really doing a good job writing, but you could probably have, you know, a couple of weeks worth of social media posts that link back to that particular blog without having to recreate the wheel, so to speak. Right, right. I think for me, social media gets, it's very reactive and it takes a lot of time. So um, if I'm doing that, then the cost is I'm not creating like foundational content and mm-hmm. the foundational content is what I think ultimately people will find the most useful once I get it in front of them. And that's, you know, something I'm, that's a process that I'm engaging in right now is figuring those pieces out of like, how do you get that in front of people in a way that they can access it. And um, it's really, uh, it's just a process. There's not Mm -hmm. a, I don't think there's an ease. There's probably some people who are, you know, amazing at this from the get go, but I don't have a marketing degree. I'm not a trained entertainer or anything (laughs) like that. So I enjoy writing, but you know, that's a skill set that can always be improved. So, um, you know, I'm going to see if, if this is something that, um, ends up being a stronger foundation that I can offer rather than just being on this hamster wheel of creating 
entertainment content that goes on social media. Yeah, I, I definitely can relate to like feeling like, oh, this takes way too much time. And if I'm focused on the social media, I can't focus on things that are actually going to make that social media meaningful. Right. Um, I stopped handling my social media a long time ago because I just don't, I don't have the time for it either. I used to love doing it and, and managing it, but it's, it's too much. There are certain things that eventually you have to say, okay, I have to let it go. And even if like, it's, it's not what it could be right now, that's the process, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it might circle back around. Yeah. Or you, you look at your numbers and uh, you figure out what's getting a, what's working to get your content in front of people, the people who need it, see it right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, how your, how you structured the break free from power struggles program and how that all comes together. Yeah. I'm so excited about this program. Um, I have a beta tester going through it right now and it's just like, it's so juicy and I like feel so excited about it. But, you know, I say I have a beta tester going through it. This is based on me working with parents for years and taking them through a process in my uh, counseling practice and um, in other settings that I've worked in. And um, like I said, parents come in there to see me. They're overloaded. They they definitely believe that the issue is their child's behavior. Although most of the parents who come to see me are very, you know, willing to be self-reflective and say, you know, I probably could do things better. And I just want everybody to be able to take a deep breath and just take a step back from that because we know that behaviors communicate a need. Mm -hmm. Your child's doing the best that they can. Their behaviors are telling us something. And, um, they're doing, they're doing what they feel, what their body feels like it needs to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Parents don't need to parent any harder. And believe me, I have, per, I have personal experience trying to be a hard, to parent harder. You know, so I like, I know this story well, and I, I have to practice around it every single day as a parent. So, um, so the, I don't have any solutions for like how to, any strategies for like, this is how you parent and it'll mm-hmm. fa- be fabulous. And your kid will do whatever you want. Um, but what I keep hearing over, do those really exist? I, know, I, know, I don't, I don't think, think they so. do. Like even so. in the best parenting programs. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. So what I, what I'm seeing, what I see when people come in is they feel like they, a, for a, a real pervasive issue is they feel like they have to walk on eggshells around their kid to prevent their kid from being triggered. And um, that must be a really, un- well, I understand that place. Ugh. And I know that that's a very uncomfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. And what I know is the only way to get out of that is for the parent to first develop some strategies for managing their own nervous system so that they can then meet their kid in a more of a co-regulation experience and be curious about their kid's behavior and then 
start to make some decisions about what their kid needs in that moment. And I've got a whole part of the program is we have this um, behavior matrix. I tell them, welcome to the matrix. And <laughs> we've got a behavior matrix where we really break it down as to like the behavior. But I find that um, as parents can't break down behaviors until they really feel heard themselves. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit of kind of vulnerability to dive into like, what are the parts of you that feel unheard? What are the parts of you that feel um, overwhelmed when there's a lot of noise? What's the, you know, what's going on for you? And, um, and it's, so the program is a 12 week program that really kind of allow, invites the parent in to this experience of um, treating themselves with kindness and compassion, having compassion for how hard parenting is. Um, and then giving them some information to like look at their child's behavior in maybe a different way than they had before. And what are, what do you do then? Like your kid Mm -hmm. will not put their shoes on for school. Like, what do I do as a professional to kind of break that behavior down so that we can start to move forward? Cause that is, you know, it's very reasonable to have expectations that are age appropriate for your kid. Sometimes parents have expectations that are not age appropriate for their kids. So that's what we look at is that, um, does your kid developmentally, are they able to do what you're asking them to do in the completion of what you're asking them to do? Do they need more time? Do they need structured autonomy? Do they need scaffolding? So mm-hmm. we look at, we get into that, but we can't get into that. We can't make it about the kid's behavior until we really allow the parents to unfold. And what really helps with that is allowing them access to the art materials allowing them to kind of work energetically with the art materials, not with the goal of creating, you know, an amazing image, but really kind of deconstructing what it feels like in their body and letting them see it visually on the page. And then they're like, oh, oh, that's what's going on. And then all of a sudden their little, their wounded parts come forward and their wounded parts say like, I really want to be heard right now. And it's really, uh, it's an amazing, beautiful process when parents are willing to allow their wounds to be held safely Mm -hmm. by me as, you know, as as the therapist or as the coach. And then we can look at behaviors and they have a whole different way of thinking about their kid. And they see the humanity. They they really start to see the humanity in their child's experience. I think that's really, really powerful and so spot on, so spot on. Parenting is such a tough job. And most of us come from a system that, you know, those people were products of the conditioning of that time frame, which didn't have a lot of tolerance for deviation and behavior really commanded, um, you know, getting in line and towing the rope and following the direction, no questions asked. Yeah. I have that conversation almost universally when I meet with new parents is that I'll say to them, and I bet you were raised in a way where it was not okay for you to show extreme feelings and emotions or to say no. And I really get that you want a parent and they just, you know, you could see they start to soften around that realization that somebody could see that. And then um, I say, and I, I can really hear that you're committed 
to parenting your child where compliance isn't necessarily the priority that you're holding highest, that you want your child to be able to um, be a full person. Mm-hmm. And but but you also need them to do certain things at certain times. And that's really the both of those are very reasonable expectations to have in your family life. So in the 12 weeks, once you like work with them to help them understand how they're being activated and then mm-hmm. how to care for that activation so that they're they're more regulated in response when their child is dysregulated, which is what their child needs to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As if the so, child's scared yeah. and parent is acting all like wild too, the child's yeah. more scared <laughs> and right. that's like not going to help the situation. Yeah. Well, and I even find, you know, you can tell that you're triggered in ways that you like that are very subtle. So are you negotiating with your kid? That actually means you're in a fight or flight response. And so you're not, you're not thinking either you're seeking to have the discomfort be removed when you're negotiating with your kid. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know you see uh, parents also in your practice, how many of them are stuck in that uh, negotiating consequences, rewards kind of um, situation. And negotiation is a, is a fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not there connecting with your kid. And, right. um, when I say connection, your nervous systems aren't, um, in line in a way where you can support what your child actually needs in that moment. It doesn't mean that you're like soft and gentle and that you have to be, you know, like everything is peaceful. Right. Your child can be in a lot of distress, but you can't negotiate them out of it because your negotiation is just you trying to get the, your child's behavior to stop causing you discomfort. Mm. And so you got it. When you notice those words are coming up, you always have the option to pause. You know, as long as your kid isn't hurting themselves or hurting, hurting somebody else or destroying property. I'm aware that there are children who like are in extreme distress. And I'm not talking about mm-hmm. those situations where there's, ex- where there's danger. Right. What I'm talking about is when a child is having a big expression of an emotion, a discomfort, even screaming and yelling, mm-hmm. saying that they hate you, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> those kinds of things, like those things are, while they might hurt your insides, they're not really hurting anybody. And you can address that. One of the things I do teach in my program and in my practice is a repair process. So there's mm-hmm. always, um, we're going to be out of sync a lot of the time. We're going to have ruptures in our way that we're interacting with each other. And so a really important piece that comes at the end of my program is how do you go back and make a repair, um, both as a parent, and then how do you teach your child a repair process? And I've got a really cool um, tool that I developed for that too, that's great for kids that doesn't require much language. So Ooh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Really important. Um, Cause I think in those situations, right. When the child doesn't feel supported mm-hmm. it by the parent, they're hurting They're They're like, why isn't my parent helping me? And the parent is like, why is the child doing this to me? Exactly. Right? How many parents have you heard say that? Why are they doing this to me? <laughs> Yes. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. As a parent, I can relate to that. I'm like, I don't understand. I've made your life really good. Like, I cannot Mm -hmm. believe that, you know, you're screaming Mm -hmm. at me that I won't give you an iPad. Like, come on. (laughs) 
But I think what you're saying is really important to say like, hey, as a parent, you have some wounding there that needs to be tended to. And if you can tend to that, you're not going to get activated and you'll be able to hold space for what's happening, which will really close the time frame down a lot. Yeah, you know, sure. it'll go quicker and pass yes. quicker than yeah. if you start to get into it. Um, right. Cause the part of you that's speaking to the, if you're, if your nervous system goes into, you know, a sympathetic response or a, a dorsal response, um, a parasympathetic response where you just completely shut down, distracting yourself. You're not there for the kid, for what the kid needs right now. You can't be, you can't be in that place of curiosity that we started talking about. Um, and I, and I really think the practice isn't about not getting triggered. It's really more about noticing and um, it's a subtle practice because it happens in our body before our brains can pay attention to it. So mm -hmm. it really takes a willingness to yes. um, be in touch with our physical sensations mm -hmm. and to notice what it feels like when I'm yelling, that's a signal to me. So how do I get myself out of that so that then I can address my child's behavior? Because as long as I'm yelling, that for me is, is a sympathetic nervous system response and it's not getting me anywhere or it could, it actually, I think a lot of times the yelling, I, I talk with a lot of moms where we say, I'll say, do you feel like you're just saying the same things over and over and yelling, but you feel really immobilized? And they're like, yes, that's a really common state. And that's like a, that's a complete shutdown. Your nervous system has gone to sleep and is like, I'm in, but it's like, that yelling is you're trying to get yourself mobilized because you're trying to get, if they can move, then I can move again. Right. And um, a lot of moms I talk to relate to that feeling of feeling like just immobilized, but they're like, ah, <laughs> making all, you know, saying, put your shoes on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense too. Yeah. And I think that happens like at first, maybe the yelling worked and there was a response yeah. to it. And so they go back to it, even though in the long run, it's not really effective and everybody's really unhappy with that dynamic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the program, and most people don't like it. Most people don't want to yell. It doesn't feel really good. No, no. Especially that your child people, I don't think people want to yell at their child at all. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the program sounds amazing. And my understanding is that you're offering that online. Yes. Yeah. So if people were interested in, um, in, I mean, maybe listeners could use help themselves, or maybe they have clients in their practices that yeah, could, sure. you know, work with you. Um, where can they find more information about this program, but the other things that you're doing too? Right. I'm going to give you two places. The first one is my website and it's simply jenniferlawrencearttherapy.com. And I always forget to put two T's between art and therapy. So <laughs> when you type that in, if you're typing two S, but jenniferlawrencearttherapy.com. If you go to backslash parents, that's going to give you the, the rundown of the Break Free from Power Struggles program. 
and it is it's a 12-week program there's a workbook component there's an online open studio for um all the participants to come together and make art like about once a month-ish um there's the coaching like six individual coaching sessions there's freebies like a uh, you know different tools that I made up like that repair making repair sheet that I've made up so the whole bunch of components that go into that um, the second place if they want to get a taste of kind of the things that I'm doing is I have a workbook um, that is kind of the, the top three or the beginning three steps when your mm -hmm. kid is struggling mm -hmm. and um, and you know you, I when you meet parents in a counseling practice you find yourself saying the same things over and over again. So this is kind of a breakdown of like, how do you start? And I think sometimes when your kid is like in pain and a lot of discomfort, you don't know where to start. So this is, I tried to create this so you could like really very easily say, okay, this is where we are and here are three things that I can do right now. And then I have like a little action plan worksheet that you can fill out. And that is at um, bit, B-I-T dot L-Y Lee bit.ly backslash um, struggle wb that's all one word struggle wb and i think are you gonna put the links in the i'm notes? gonna i'm gonna put so i'm gonna put the links in the show notes and um and make sure you know they're going to the right places Perfect. um but that sounds like an amazing yeah. um freebie for folks yeah. yeah and that and that freebie is uh, you know it's attached to an opt-in to my um, newsletter which goes out about once a week and um you know i try to you know to support all of this information with you know my thoughts on what's up what am I learning and from the people I work with and things like that but if you know someone didn't want to opt into the newsletter I don't care they can send me a message and I and I'll send them the the workbook I'd rather people get access to the things that they need right now so if they need the workbook or if you're a provider and you need some resources for the families you work with and you know feel feel free to share freely um <laughs> Jennifer makes amazing, amazing resources. One thing that we didn't talk about is she has a Teachers Pay Teachers site too with some really cool interactive um, things that she created for kids with special needs um, for like the classroom, which yeah. I was just blown away by. They're just magnificent. That's very kind of you. <laughs> You're welcome. You've always been very supportive of all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I yeah. think I understand it because that's where I started. Yeah. It's in the classroom and yeah. working with kids that, that had these super big struggles that were like on the floor, kicking and biting and, you know, I started wearing contacts because I had my glasses snatched off my face so many times, um, you know, working with these, these little guys and they, they were just so dysregulated. Yeah, it wasn't, right. there, there was no, yeah. you know, intention. It wasn't it was, about you. Yeah. No, no. But, um, so I started in that place and I really understand the work that you're doing and how effective it really is. So, yeah. Well, I am just thrilled that we got to have this conversation today. And so thank yes. you so much for being here. 
Yes. And thank you for all the things you do. It's just, I learned so much from you constantly. <laughs> and I learned from you too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode uh, with Jennifer Lawrence. I hope that you found her uh, story inspiring and, um, and that it helps you to say that it is possible for you too, if you have um, an idea that you really want to bring to life in, in this world, that you have the ability to do that as well. And there's lots of ways to go about it and lots of supports out there to help you in the process. And don't forget to check out all of her great resources, um, which you can find on her website, jenniferlawrencearttherapy.com. Um, or you can check out her bit.ly link bit.ly forward slash struggle WB. Um, yeah. All right. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.